Is your business plan very unclear and you're tirelessly working at a low-paying career? Let's help you get out of the rut and let go of the fear. It's time to excel into the million-dollar stratosphere. Now, here's your host of The Balanced Millionaire, who will take you there, Eileen Mendel. your host of The Balanced Millionaire, and we are, our mission is to inspire and educate entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives, and also to bring them the latest and greatest in various areas that will help them to up-level their lives and their careers. If you are interested in learning more about The Balanced Millionaire, you can go to our website, www.thebalancedmillionaire.com, or you can reach us and connect with us on Facebook, as well as LinkedIn and Instagram. So tonight, we're honored to have a special guest who um, I actually uh, enjoyed meeting just a few weeks ago when we were at a local networking meeting in San Diego, and I found out that uh, she has a lot of expertise in communication and body language, and also what's near and dear to her, not only is um, speaking and um, communication, but also building confidence skills and reading body and reading body language, which he does teach to in presentations to executives, managers, and individuals, and also helps uh, juries to um, select. I'm sorry, to select juries using her skill sets, and she also teaches this as well. Her name is Laura Ackers, Laura E. Ackers, and she's a licensed attorney and graduated as an attorney in 1984 from the Western State University School of Law here in San Diego. And she received highest grades in her class in areas of civil procedure, wills, trusts, agency partnership, and civil procedure practice and community property. She has earned in Toastmasters uh, the award of Distinguished International Distinguished Toastmasters, DTM, in 2018, and has been a keynote speaker for many Toastmaster events and conferences, as well as a workshop presenter on self-confidence, and has uh, been a keynote speaker for the Bar Association, and also uh, been a member of the local local bar as well. And... Um, has also been a presenter of uh, training where she has helped um, many people learn about domestic violence issues and domestic violence policy. And also she is very active in helping women um, in the Underground Railroad uh, project, which um, also um, has she has been a, a lead prosecutor and helped establish New California law for reasonable fear in rape cases. So, Laura, you, you, you've done quite a, quite a few things, and um, it's very impressive. So tell us um, how you got started. Welcome to our show, first of all. Thank you. The first thing I have to do say is my last name is Akers. Everybody pronounces it wrong. Everybody seems to think of Akers instead of acres, but that's fine. That's common. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so sorry about that. Um, acres takes no, just land, it's, it's, acres of land. That's, that's exactly right, have, like green acres. Green like acres. acres of land. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
I am very, very excited to be here, and I enjoyed meeting you at the launch of Podcast Magazine. I was excited to learn that you had a podcast, and you were already doing so much. Um, it's exciting to come on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about what got you interested in the various areas that you specialize in, this communication and self-confidence body language. It's just really a, a great tool. All these things are great tools for anyone, not just attorneys, um, but everyday people as well as executives, managers, you know, who could, could benefit from all of these skill sets. How did, you, well, how did you get started in all that? Well, I think that when you read a person's resume, or when you look at their accomplishments, there's a lot of a lot behind that that nobody really talks about. And I like after I get these big introductions before I do speaking or workshops to say, I want you to just imagine me when I was a little kid. I was really shy. I was chubby. I didn't have the the right kind of clothes, the right hairstyle. I survived high school hiding out in the band room. And then later, even as a prosecutor, I could do jury trials, but if I went to a party, meaning a party, I mean two or more people in a room, it would just scare me to death. And I thought, you know, these are areas that I need to improve. I need to be able to be more confident in a lot of different situations. I need to be more likable because as a prosecutor, I didn't want to sound like I was convicting people of a crime when I was talking to them casually. So I began to study more about how to connect with people and how to also improve people, their own confidence and likability skills. Now, you had told me a story um, when we first met that this new manager had been um, wondering why he wasn't connecting with the employees, with his people. Can you kind of Tell us a little bit more about that um, that uh, client that you had that he didn't even realize that he had. Well, you you tell the story. <laughs> he well, he sure. hadn't connected, but the reason of what you found out. Well, something I tell people that they really need to work on is listening skills and connection skills. The problem that we have is we get where we are, are nervous about whether people will like us. And the other person is nervous about whether they are being liked. And it becomes this loop where we're really not reaching out and talking and listening to people. And I said, you know, it, it's more important to go up to the people that are working for you and find out, hey, you know, what's really happening I see you're disconnecting from the job. Is it the job or is it something going on in your personal life? Listen and practice by just walking up to people and saying, hey, so how's your day going so far? And try to get them out of, oh, it's fine and one word answers. And this worked really well. He was able to bond a lot better with his, with his group. And I remember you telling me that uh, when he did walk the hallways, this individual would have a frown. Just you know, he, um, he didn't even realize what his face had looked like, and you know, to everybody else, and everybody thought he was um, angry all the time. Right. People really need to be aware of the expression on their face. Some people have just a naturally. Like you see on Saturday Night Live, the Debbie Downer skit, where you look like you're always feeling really bummed out about something or angry. Maybe you're thinking about something else and you have something else on your mind. Um, if you're standing with your arms closed when you're speaking with someone, they'll look at you and think this person even isn't even hearing what I'm saying. They're closed off to my message. So we have to be really aware of when we're talking what our body language is telling about what, what we're doing. So give us um, some examples of skills that people 
should focus on so that they can be more successful and more connected and more engaged with others. And in this day and age, of course, um, people are not connecting as much because we have that social distancing, but we have the internet. Let's say you you and I um, were, you know, in a uh, situation where I was, you know, interacting with you over the internet, that's even harder to um, relay body language. But what are the skills? What what, what should people look out for when they're trying to uh, make a point and and trying to connect with, let's say, a peer even, a colleague um, over the net? Yeah, that is more difficult to get when you're not, looking face-to-face with a person? Yes. Just just asking questions? Is it always a good one? Saying, hey, you know, tell me how your day has been going. Um, ask about... I don't know. It's really difficult. The problem is right now, and I, I'm sure you're doing the same thing, is... When we're reading through the news or we're reading through things people are posting, the thing that's always in the back of my mind is, is this true and where can I verify it? So if it's a person that you know really well, hopefully you can have a more casual, open conversation. But it's people that you don't know well, it becomes almost like a chess match of questions back and forth to ascertain, you know, is this this true? Are we really connecting with each other correctly? Are they telling me how they really feel? I know that it's much more difficult to do in writing than anything else. And what if, um, I know that, you know, there's Skype and there's Zoom, so people are using that quite a bit. Yeah. And you can see the facial features, but you can't see the full body position if the person is like clasping their hands, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, um, I'm talking to my boss on the phone. I hope I don't get fired or <laughs> whatever. You know, what? What uh, what sort of uh, things should the boss convey and what sort of things should the employee convey that they're all both, you know, being honest and authentic and on the, the same page? Well, I would think there'd be not a lot of lag time between answering questions. There's not a lot of pause. There's the tone of voice. Are they sounding sincere? Are they sounding enthusiastic, friendly? The problem with Skype and Zoom is sometimes where you're looking on your computer, it isn't exactly eye contact with that other person. So that makes it a little more difficult because when you're face-to-face, making eye contact tends to signal that you're listening. I'm paying attention. There's really, um, if you watch Masters at People Skills, uh, President Bill Clinton used to be one of them. He would give his full attention to a person he was speaking with. He could be in a room with a, a lot of people and he would just ignore them. That one person was the sole focus. And to do that online is a little trickier, but I think just paying attention, following up with questions, being enthusiastic and sincere, giving good answers, it, it helps. I know that right now Toastmasters, the public speaking organization where we typically have meetings, where we give speeches, we're being encouraged to do these on Zoom or Skype. And it's going to look a lot different than a regular meeting. And one of the things that we're judging when we're looking at speakers is body language and um, voice. And are they moving correctly? Are they are they using the correct verbiage? Are they using their tone of voice? So there's so many things that it's more difficult to convey online. And if I were face-to-face with you, what what's kind of skill sets? I mean, hopefully this all uh, coronavirus scare will be <laughs> ending very you know soon, hopefully this year, um, in a few more months maybe. So how can I connect face-to-face with, let's say, um, a group of people that I'm leading – what, what are things that I should look out for? Well, one of the most important skills you can do is pretend that you're a greeter. Have you ever been to Walmart? They have greeters yes. when you walk mm-hmm. in. All right. 
So you get to pretend you're a greeter to the world in your daily life. That's where you're practicing becoming more enthusiastic when you see people. If you greet people like it's a friend you haven't seen in a while, you're giving out a positive message to that person. The next thing that you can remember is their name. It's very important to use a person's name, to give them your name. Hi, I don't think I've met you. I'm Eileen. And what's your name? And then remember it. Try also to remember something about them that you've learned. Say, oh, I remember that you like to go jogging. And, and put that into a conversation later. Those things help that person to relax. Everybody likes to hear their name. They like that you remembered something about them, and you're giving them that attention. And what about um, body language um, in terms of, uh, let's say, you know, let's say it's an employee meeting. How do people feel comfortable with each other? In an employee meeting and also with their boss, you know, let's say it's a, you know, meeting of 10 or 15 people and you're the boss and what sort of things uh, do you do or can you do to make everybody feel comfortable in the room so that they can be present, really present? I think that one of the things you have to think about is if you're all sitting around the table is if you're nervous about being at that meeting, don't close off your body language. Don't hunch your shoulders or minimize your body. Sit back and take up more space. You're perceived as more powerful when you do that. The more, it's, it's like you reach out farther. You'll see lead, world leaders sometimes that are sitting in a chair and they'll have their arm across the top of the chair. Or they'll have, um, they'll just take a wider position and it's much more open. It just conveys confidence. Keeping eye contact, nodding your head when someone else is talking to show that you're listening. These are things that assist in presenting that you know what you're doing and you're, you're liking what you're hearing, you're paying attention. Uh, rather, a lot of people who are nervous just tend to to hunch down, they tend to shrink instead of saying, I'm going to shine in this meeting, they shrink. So it's best to portray that with your body language. Now for women, um, because I've been accused of like not, I mean, I'm a petite woman um, of not really, you know, like you said, um, opening up or, you know, I was told like try to, you know, wear heels, you know, be, you know, that wider, you know, chest out, whatever, body language. What do you suggest for women? Because um, men naturally, you know, they naturally take up space. And a lot of women don't feel comfortable, you know, doing that sort of thing. But what, what do you suggest? The thing about that is it's different with women. For one thing, women, we begin early on being raised differently than boys. A lot of the time, girls are rewarded for being good little girls, for being, they have, they aren't as energetic or rambunctious or as pushy as boys. They're not charging through the halls like wild animals. They're not getting in fights at recess. They learn that they're most in favor when they do things neatly and quietly. They get praised for being perfect and they don't take as many risks and they don't, they don't make mistakes. They're afraid where boys, it's just a thing for them. So as we grow up, a lot of the time women again shrink instead of shine. It's okay no matter what your body size is to project confidence by keeping the eye contact, squaring the shoulders, not worrying about, unfortunately now, social distancing, you got to stay away from each other. But sometimes if you are being criticized by someone who is perhaps um, not correct, you can back them off by stepping more into their, their personal space and looking at them and, say, and saying very quietly, 
what you're saying I don't agree with. But now, you know, we're going to have to reassess how we're doing that. But I think that women, a lot of the time, because of the way that we were raised, we feel like we're imposters. I, I've read uh, the book a while ago. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's The Confidence Code that was written by Kathy, Kathy Kay and Claire Shipman. Yes. And yes. yes. So one of them was a CNN correspondent in Moscow in her 20s, and one was on the Starbucks board at 29, and they felt like imposters. They just didn't feel confident in their abilities, so they went on to write the confidence code. And you really have to um, lose a lot of that early messaging for women. Do you think it's still, I mean, you and I grew up in the generations where we were told, you know, be quiet, be still, um, you know, we were always trying to please as a, as a little girl and even, you know, as even as teenagers and going to, to college, we were always trying to be, you know, the best, you know, the shining little star or whatever, but not be, you know, uh, pushy or rambunctious. Um do you think that it still exists in the generations uh, that are growing up today? I do, because when you think of what was not factored into the way that we grew up, now everyone is on social media. And we don't get on social media and say, hey, I just, lost, I just gained 40 pounds or I lost my job. We don't talk about things like that. And everyone is using filters to look gorgeous. They're not putting up photographs that aren't impeccable, but this isn't reality. So unfortunately, a lot of times young girls will compare themselves to each other, even when we were young, but now it's on this broad scale of Instagram, TikTok, all these, you know, all these different social platforms where people are putting up content that they also have to say, boy, am I, I'm, I'm not as good as that person. Their life looks perfect, but their life probably isn't perfect, but it's just being shown to be perfect. So a lot of young women have, they just have new issues that they have to deal with. So the internet and the online social media has actually made women feel more self-conscious perhaps, and less likely to, step up, you know, their, you know, and be all more authentic and step up who they really are and be vulnerable. Is that right? Well, it's already hard enough for women, even in business, because the Harvard Business Review showed that women, that their confidence, even working in companies, begins to erode after a couple of years on the job, because there's this stereotype of what men, mainly men in charge of these companies, view as how females should act as a stereotype of success. And they find that these women say, you know, I don't have any role models. I don't, and I'm not getting counseling from the male managers like I should. So they're in a socially different situation a lot of the time. And also, you know, you can tell a really strong woman because she helps other women. They build other women up. They don't tear them down. They look for ways to help each other. So that's something that I see more and more women doing, especially with the Me Too movement, which I hope uh, that women are feeling confident about speaking out. I know that um, when I was doing rape cases, now I still feel there's issues with people coming forward on those. So it is just a culture that everybody's fighting against. Is there uh, an end in sight when there's no longer going to be the battle between the sexes, so to speak. <laughs> How's your crystal ball? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Uh, I mean, we did have <laughs> leaders like Cleopatra, you know, some of the um, leaders, you know, uh, in the past that have... Um, the Amazon women. marry her, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's like very unusual for women to step forward um or as many women to step forward like that and speak out um because we are as uh in our profession we're put down you know um whether you're an attorney 
or in, uh, a financial uh, a banker, you know, uh, an investment banker or whatever, there's these issues that crop up where you're, you know, shot down more so than if you were a man. And, you know, it seems like, you know, this age of women being um, more um, in authority and, you know, given uh, chances, you know, still we're still fighting for that. True, but I think that I see a lot of women that are running for office now that are very confident in what they have to say. There are minority leaders that are women that are now in Congress. And I believe that women can be as strong as they want to. I think that the more, the thing that I really enjoy, I used to do a long time ago, I did uh, workshops for girls who wanted to be in beauty contests because I had been a, a rodeo, Miss Rodeo USA. And when I would go around the country later to do these contests where girls wanted to be rodeo queens, I'd look around the room and I'd see girls that I thought were just lovely, but they just lacked that belief in themselves. And I could take them and say, hey, why do I believe in you more than you're believing in yourself right now? And I think that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, men and women, is to say, what can I do to, to believe more in myself? What can I do to give myself permission to, be, to shine, to be confident, to say what needs to be said? And I think it has to, like you said, it has to come from somebody else in authority that's supportive, you know, saying those words. I mean, it also could come from your, one of your peers that you respect, but if you get that respect from a, a manager who's at a higher level or, or somebody at a higher level that you respect, it could even be, you know, um, coming from, you know, let's say, your um, religious group where somebody, right. you know, well-respected points out, like, you know, let's give this, you know, you know, these women opportunities that they didn't have before and encourage them to speak out. I know that... Um, when I was uh, a young uh, girl in, in, uh, in high school, my um, the uh, religious organization allowed me to be on the pulpit to give a speech, you know, during the um, the normal congregation uh, meeting, you know, and uh, that was an opportunity to build up some self confidence in my own speaking skills and. And uh, people afterwards said you did a good job. You know, it's like giving that opportunity. That's that's where young women are going to build that that confidence uh, if they're given the chance to show that they can handle you know, leadership and um, you know be out there and speak and speak up. You know, speak that's what's on true. their mind. That's that's true. I mean, they're. The thing that people maybe don't give themselves enough credit for is that we're incredibly resilient. And if we look back through what we've been through in our lives and say, okay, here was a, here was a situation that was extremely difficult, but I made it through and I came out the other side. And, and it's okay to remind yourself when you have another situation that's occurring that's difficult to say, how does that compare? What did I do to get through that? And I can do it again. So um, we're going to take a brief break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about some of the key skills that one should have to be able to be more likable and connect better and, um, and be more confident. So let's um, take a brief break and we're with Laura Akers and we'll be right back. Eileen Mendel, founder and CEO of The Balanced Millionaire. Who are we and what is our mission? We are a strategic business advisory firm dedicated to advancing leadership and business growth. Listen to what our clients have to say about us. 
I was blessed to meet Aileen. She has done numerous things for my business, from giving me professional advice to introducing me to new connections and going as far as finding me new team members. I cannot say enough about her and her business for the help they have given to my company. I've been working with the Balanced Millionaires team. They've helped me in setting up a concrete plan to get my business to the next level. Eileen is a cheering, inspiring and benevolent advisor. Knowing that she's gone through the same challenges gives me the confidence that I'm on the right track. If you are a growing seven or eight figure business that is ready to reach new heights, contact us at info at thebalancemillionaire.com. That's info at thebalancemillionaire.com. So I'm back. This is Eileen Mendel with The Balanced Millionaire, your host of the show. And I am talking to Laura E. Akers, who is a licensed attorney and specializes in communication and body language. And she understands what it takes to connect with people and become more successful and more self-confident. So, Laura, let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, what are some of the things that, like myself and other people who are building the, you know, their their businesses and getting out there to connect with people and using the internet and using um, podiums of you know from professional organizations how do how do we get out there and become more likable and build our self-confidence and connect with engage with our audience what are some of the tips you can give us today well one of the things that i think is key is visualizing yourself not succeeding at some point in the future but visualizing it picturing it and experiencing it like it's already happened so when you visualize the success of your business, that this has already happened, you'll see yourself the way that you want to be. You'll have the confidence that you just, you take the time to visualize everything about it, what you're wearing, how it feels, how much money's in the bank, your success. Uh, you can do affirmations about, you know, I'm really successful. I'm a confident person. You can tell yourself um, and Think about those things, which will help you go into any type of uh, situation with a better mindset. And if you're having a big meeting with your co for your company, something that's crucial, and you start to feel nervous, one of the things I like to tell people is say, don't say, oh, I feel so nervous about this. Say, yay, my superpower is here. Because what that really is is adrenaline. And adrenaline lets you pick cars off people who are trapped. It's magic. You can say, I'm so excited instead of, wow, I'm feeling nervous. It's just a, a way of reframing how you're seeing your life and how you're acting. So uh, in a situation, um, for instance, that's very serious, like people had to uh, you know, uh, tell their employees uh, uh, that um, they no longer could work in the office, they had to work from home, and the schools had to... You know, tell the parents, you know, you're going to be, um, you know, have to figure out how you're going to um, get your kids to continue to learn while they're at home and homeschooling. How do you approach those situations that are kind of, you know, nerve wracking and, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable? I mean, I would be well, sweating before I told, you know, somebody, you know, that they can't you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, or even firing somebody. Uh, what are some things that, you know, so to make it so that you're not feeling like you're enemies, but you're walking, you know, you're treading that line where you have, you know, to show that you're, you've got to be serious and have authority here, but you also want to show that you are, you know, not the enemy. So, so one Sorry, of the things... I didn't quite catch that. Could you please repeat 
Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. Sorry, that was my Siri. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Siri. She has something to say. <laughs> well, the thing about the thing about difficult situations is the importance of listening skills, and that's a skill that people tend to overlook, but is primarily important. We hear speech at 500 to 1,000 words a minute, but we speak at 125 to 174 words a minute. So what's happening during that time gap? We all know what we're doing. We're thinking about other stuff. When someone's speaking to us, a lot of the times, and I'm guilty too, I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to fix for dinner? I've got this errand to run. And now that we're in these more intense and difficult situations, we have to stop that and stay present. Because most people really, truly only listen half of the time. And one of the things I tell people when they're working on practicing listening skills is to listen for people's feelings. So if you have someone coming in and you're saying, okay, you're going to have to work at home now. Well, I'm nervous. Is that going to cost me my job? I understand that you're feeling nervous. So when you repeat the feeling that you heard in that person's sentence and address that feeling, it helps that person calm down and feel better about what's happening. Don't interrupt. Don't reply with something about yourself. Try to find something that's positive about what's occurring when you're speaking um, in difficult situations. So you're listening to how that person is feeling and trying to give them, give them supportive feedback by what you're saying. Now, do you also share with them, for instance, um, you know, the boss probably doesn't like to deliver, you know, these kind of kind of news, you know, that we've been hearing and feeling and everything else. Should they share how they're feeling also to connect mm. better? Not really. So you're you basically it's a one way, you know, the boss should say, well, can I, you know, you know, how are you feeling? You know, um, can I help you get through, you know, what I, what can I do? Or um, please tell me, you know, and just let them talk about how they're feeling. Well, it, it's like in anything that I tell people when it comes to communication, it's not about you. So, if so you're don't bring anything a, into it about yourself. It's, it's, if you're giving a speech, it's about your audience. If you're talking to a person, it's about them. The use of the word you is very important because it keeps that person engaged. There was a study one time on an airplane where they told people, sit next to a person on this plane and only ask them questions about themselves and don't say a thing about yourself. And at the end of the study, the people who had had all these questions asked about their lives said, Oh, they were the most fabulous, most interesting people I have ever spoken with, even though that person had never said a word about themselves, because the conversation was all about them. And in difficult situations, remembering, and people are going to be angry, just listen, listen and understand, and try to get to their feelings. And also, we have a tendency in the society to basically want everything in a short, succinct way when the person needs some time to go deeper to express what's really going on. So it's like almost be, be more patient to give them the time that they and need to voice themselves. And present, to be present where you're not, where your full attention is on that person where your body language is directed toward that person, where you are listening, where you're engaged, where they feel that they are an important person. And I think it's particularly with, you know, I would say with the millennial generation, um, there's a tendency to look at your phone or look at your mobile device or your computer screen while you're talking to someone. And... Okay. It pretty much annoy it annoys me because I see it all the time, you know, in public places where, you know, let's say um, somebody of the older generation might be talking to, you know, their teenage kids or whatever, but the kids are looking at their <laughs> their smartphones. Um, 
do you think that, that there's going to be less and less of that um, given, you know, the now there's a more proximity of the kids interacting with their with their parents and the grandparents, you know, their immediate family? Do you think there's more going to be more um, connection and presence in the conversations these days? Again, I think that each generation is developing a different style of communication. And for people in a generation that grew up on electronics, some of the social freak out that older people feel when they see some kid on a phone, to them it's, oh, this is, this is just, a, this is nothing. I, this is normal for me. I'm still listening to you, but I'm also doing this. Um, but I think that we have to always communicate clearly what we feel. So if you're in a room and your kid is on their phone, but you need them to listen to you, say, hey, I know that if that's not urgent, I need you to talk to me. And if now is not a good time, when will be a good time? Let's set a time that we can talk without electronics. So you're, you're communicating clearly it's the same thing as getting in a in an argument with your significant other. It's not ever good to continue that feeling angry. And you might say, you know, right now I'm a little upset, but in about an hour, would it be okay if we could sit down together and talk about this? So it really just comes down to clarifying the situation and communicating what you need. So maybe um, there should be, a moratorium, you know, during that time period where you make the appointment, so to speak, with your spouse or your children or another family member or friend, you know, no electronic devices on, please, let's both be fully present, make an agreement. And and, And then I think for young people, it's okay to say, and the reason that's important to me is I appreciate your undivided attention. I I want to hear for you to hear me and for me to hear you so that it isn't a command. Sometimes kids, of course, need to have rules set in place. But if this is more open conversation, at least explain why you feel that that's important, that the electronics not be there. So do you think because of our current situation, um, there will be a better connection between between generations. I know you said everybody has different styles, but if we, you know, in a polite way ask that I need and would like your full attention because I'm going through something, you know, that um, we need to discuss, you know, and I need to, to uh, have that space without your electronics. Do you think that it's going to change um, some behaviors, you know, coming out? You know, when we get finally get through this. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know. I think what it comes down to is that people need to be more aware of their words and what they're communicating, and not just ignoring the importance of whatever that other person is doing. So, if a kid is on a phone and it's driving you crazy, you can say, "We're stuck together right now." And maybe at least for an hour, we could all play games or we could converse about our lives or we could do whatever. And that would mean a lot to me because I am feeling stressed out by this and I need you to take time for me. Something that communicates your feelings to that person. So it's being aware of the, you know, um, the other person's emotions, you know, like, be more sensitive. Like if I, you know, right now I'm single, but if I had a spouse, you know, to be more sensitive to what, Oh, you seem, you know, you seem like you're a bit upset. Maybe we need to set up a time and talk about what is upsetting you or something like that. Acknowledge, acknowledge the emotional um, patterns or changes that, you know, and be aware of them. Well, you know, if you say you you seem upset, that seems confrontational. Okay, so how would so you? you have to, you have to reframe it to. I, I sense that that you know, there might be 
hard for me to do this on the spot. <laughs> I have like a guy I never have to do this with. I'm very, very lucky. He, we don't have to, um, I don't have to tippy toe around him particularly and we don't have arguments. Um, so just to say it would mean a lot to me if you could share your feelings. I think that's, that's a good way to, yeah, like, um, kind of break through when you're living, you know, you're living in a closer situation now on a full, on a longer term (laughs) with people that, you know, you're, I mean, your own family, it could be your own, um, nemesis as well, which is happens to me. They they know your hot points, whatever. But to be more sensitive, and you know, just you know, like you said, you know, put it in a way that will open up the communication. Yeah, whenever there's a an issue, you you don't want to make, even though you use you statements, discussing things generally or in public speaking, you statements when it's a criticism, feel very personal and it's more like an attack. So you try to stay on the, I'm feeling that perhaps um, we're not, you know, we're having some tension right now. Is there a time when we could talk about that? And it's hard, it's hard to state to stop yourself and not go into patterns that are negative. Everybody does it. It's, it's much easier to say, why are you so upset? What's going on with you right now? And instead to dial it back and say, okay, how do I say this? And it takes a lot of practice and thought. So just even trying it out for a while is good. Yeah, I've taken um, several workshops on nonviolent communication. And, um, yeah, some of the points you made kind of jive with, with that. But it's, it's, it's even deeper. You know, there's so many... Um, situations or whatever where, you know, you really have to, like you said, you have to be self-aware, but also aware of the environment and the, you know, what's going on with the people that you're, you know, surrounded by. So, like you said, you know, there's a lot of knee-jerk statements that go on just because the internet allows us to, you know, to say things, you know, that probably we wouldn't say to other people in person. And, um, you know, some of the things that where people are so reactive on the Internet, I mean, when I go to like um, the um, there's an app called, um, you know, Neighbors or whatever, Neighborhood, and I see arguments about little trivial things on this app. And it's like, wait a minute, this is like totally off the off base of what the original inquiry was about. And um, people are just picking at each other and you know it's like why in our own neighborhood would people bat be batting each other over the head and picking at each other when we're supposed to be getting along even in our own community and helping each other and be supportive well a lot of the time the thing i've noticed is that when people do that they want control so there's something happening in their life that's making them feel out of control. So they're taking control by complaining about something. So it's really all about control issues and self-worth and self-confidence is you got to get into that. Um, I know that it's easy online to uh, say on Twitter to have, I have it happen to me where people just call names or make Um, vitriolic statements and I think where is that getting anybody if you disagree with what I'm saying talk to me about give me some facts don't just call names and leave it it's not people aren't really spending the time they have this oh I can just be a bully on the internet by saying a few things Um, and I had one guy um, that told me that he was going to make me get into line. And I thought, well, that's pretty funny. <laughs> How will that happen? I, for one, I don't even know who you are. and You don't know where I live. But even if you met me, most of my friends would say, that's really not a good idea. <laughs> but again, you know, um, people, because of the anonymity of the Internet, 
a lot of times they go to places that they wouldn't face to face. I think the internet could be, it could be a positive tool, but it also has its negatives in terms of people, like you said, who have control issues and maybe don't have the self-confidence, you know, and so they're using the internet in an abusive way. Well, they are. And I know that for women that were involved in gaming, they were having male gamers send SWAT teams to their houses. They would have death threats um, because the peop- the men, not all men in the gaming community, some of the more toxic ones, felt insulted that women were involved in gaming. So it can be very real-world dangerous as well as just bullying. Right. It can get outside of the of the net and actually be physically something where, you know, somebody could get hurt. Yes, definitely. So, like I say, occasionally people, if they make any type of statement to me, I try to say, well, why are you feeling that way? Show me the facts of why you feel that way. And usually they just go away (laughs) because that's not what they're looking for. They want me to be angry in return. And that's not going to happen. Right. They try to get under your skin. Right. And I, I think it's funny because I deal in facts. I'm a lawyer. We like facts. So, if we're going to have an argument about something, show me the facts. Show me why you feel that way. Tell me, tell me what's going on. Um, and typically people don't, that are just surface bullies and looking for attention that way, they don't want to engage in a more um, thoughtful conversation. Do you think um, our culture here in the U.S. kind of promotes, you know, we have the freedom of speech, you know, and um, people attacking each other, and, um, and it just seems like um, you know the young. As I'm getting older, it seems like there's more and more of that stuff going out in the open, public attacks, and you you even when you turn on CNN or whatever, and they're attacking each other, the pro and con people. It just seems like um, it becomes personalized attacks. Do you think that this is something as part of our culture in the U.S., or is it happening also across the world in other cultures? Well, you know, knowing what's going on in England with Brexit, I know that there's a lot of um, very assertive people discussing that. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of the First Amendment, freedom of speech, because without it, I don't know where we would be. It Again, as I say, even with the news, it's difficult to tell which is true and which is propaganda. And I try to do a lot of reading to find out what's really happening. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's just coming down to not being so black and white, not being Republican and Democrat, being American people that are trying to to come to a decision together to work on commonalities rather than just vitriol at each other. And I think with the the 24-hour news feed, they have to fill their time. So it's not in their favor to be reasonable, particularly. They like to promote this divisiveness. And I tend to read my news now more than watch it because I want to see if I can find out without a spin what's happening. Yeah, I feel the same way because we have a lot of uh, ear time out there to fill that a lot of it is just um, in, inherently uh, news that they just pick something that's going to be controversial and make more out of it, a mountain out of a mohill, so that it gets people riled up and there's a something to talk about. But it's not, maybe it's just not real, you know, <laughs> like, you know, we have to be... Uh, well, they say caveat on tour or whatever. Just don't buy into it because we have well, to make I, our own judgments these days. I really believe that most Americans, no matter what their political affiliation, if they sat down and talked to each other, they'd have a lot in common. Because I know that we all care about our families. We care about our, 
our jobs, we care about making, you know, making our bills, having a place to live, having food on the table, um, having freedom to enjoy our lives. A lot of it's the same, no matter what side you're on. Um, so I think that people should look for more ways to connect with each other than to find reasons to disagree. So we're running out of time. Can you give us some, these are the highlights of what you believe, you know, one should look out for in connecting and engaging and also improving our self-confidence, particularly for women, um, what we, you know, some things that we can do, just some, a summary to um, summarize everything we've talked about here? Well, I think the most important thing is to remember that how much you've already accomplished to give yourself more confidence in yourself, to believe going into a situation that you can do it. Uh, You can do the power poses that Amy Cuddy talks about, the Wonder Woman pose, anything that makes you feel better, visualizations or affirmations. And having that self-confidence and that self-worth will carry over and allow you not to feel that you need to compete when you're in a situation, but to listen, to take time to learn about other people, to not just see that barista at Starbucks if we ever get to go there again, but to find out how their day's been, what's been going on, have they had to clean a lot, was there a rude customer, you know, make them talk to you, not just as customer to employee. Try to work to connect more with people that way. Uh, it's just a daily thing that you just have to keep working at. It seems like uh, we're, um, we've lost a lot of our, let's say, uh, humanity, whatever, um, because of the, you know, all the electronic digital ways to communicate. But to get back to you know, the, the humanness of who we are and, you know, the human factor is so well, One of the things I tell people that I'm coaching, especially with public speaking, is don't pretend to be perfect and admit to your flaws because people like you more if you screw up. It's, it's called the pratfall effect. If you screw up and you say, you know what, I just really am not very good at that, people don't, they like you better because you're admitting that you're a human being. Um, and so it's, it's okay. It's okay if you mess up, you know, they don't mind. It's all right. So that's something else that I try to remind people. It's our imperfections that make us more likable. That's right. So if you fall on your face on the stage, people will say, huh, look, they got up, they kept going. Everybody's really cheering for you. So it's okay. So, Laura, what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Because we're running out of time, and I'd like them to um, know how they can uh, set up a workshop or um, a training with you. Well, they can go to my website, which is lauraacres.com. It's L-A-U-R-A-A-K-E-R-S.com. And all of my um, connection information is there. I'm also on Twitter at Laura Acres at Instagram, at the Laura Acres on Facebook at Laura Acres Coaching. So there's a lot of ways to reach out. I'm not really hiding. I would love to hear from anybody that would like to do workshops. I've been doing a lot of um, now because of what's happening, not in-person workshops, but doing more through the computer. And I do one-on-one coaching through Skype and Zoom. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on our show today. And um, I enjoyed it. It was a pleasure to hear your uh, thoughts and um, your expertise in the area of communication and self-confidence. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Eileen. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into The Balanced Millionaire with your host, Eileen Mendel, business consultant, multimedia marketing expert, renowned speaker and author. Connect with Eileen Mendel, The Balanced Millionaire. Increase your confidence, creativity, balance, awareness, direction, motivation, and catapult your business to the next level and beyond.